Welcome to Rooting For You, a seasonal gardening podcast for non-experts. I'm Tess and I know nothing. And I'm Elise and I know some things. Each week we'll chat about one gardening topic and then discuss the effort reward payoff by asking, is the juice worth the squeeze? Just a heads up, there might be a bit of swearing in this episode. You've been warned. Welcome to Reading For You, recording remotely in Melbourne, which means the sound quality of our recording is a little bit more rubbish than usual, but we think we're getting on all right and thanks for sticking with us. Today we're talking about passion fruit and I'm so keen for this topic since a couple of weeks ago when Elise introduced the concept of gardening in 3D. Since then I've been thinking a lot about space utilisation and now we're finally talking about a vining plant. What is also so great about passion fruit is it just feels like the ultimate treat and a real luxury. So Elise, let's get passionate about passion fruits. Ooh, I like that little little line. <laughs> Any idea why they're called a passion fruit? I have absolutely none. Not a clue. It's an interesting combination. We should isn't Google it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Please. The old passion fruit. Now there's so many reasons why I am very passionate about growing the passion fruit (laughs) with the first reason obviously being the fruit. Like it's delicious, it's expensive, and you're going to get an abundance of it. But there's actually a lot more reasons why I think a passion fruit is a brilliant addition to most gardens, big and small. So let me uh, tell you some of the other benefits. Firstly, Mm, please. The harvest is very large for very little effort. And I know this is something we're very keen on on this podcast is the effort to reward ratio. And I feel like Mm -hmm. passion fruits really pay dividends in this department. You plant them once and then you get the rewards for years to come. Not forever. They actually won't live forever. But, you know, for seven odd years, you're going to get a brilliant harvest of passion fruit from that one plant that you took the effort to put in the ground years prior. The passion fruit vine itself is actually a really beautiful plant and has these big glossy green leaves and beautiful purple and white flowers. And it's actually an evergreen vine, which means that it doesn't lose its leaves in winter like deciduous trees. So like an apple tree loses its leaves, a kiwi fruit or a grapevine, they'll also lose their leaves. The passion fruit won't. So it actually has that aesthetic quality all year round even in winter when it's a bit thin on the ground as far as greenery Mm. it just looks really nice and because it's a vine we can use it to screen fences along the side of a house or we can grow it over an arbor so it's actually quite versatile as a way to disguise a part of the garden that may not look that pretty the benefits in the fruit plus the benefits of the aesthetics the other thing is some plants some edible plants like kiwi fruits for example need a boy and a girl plant this is also like plums and apples that need two apples or two plums in the garden to provide cross-pollination a passion fruit has everything it needs conveniently on the one vine oh that's good it's so handy because it just means you can put one in the garden and know it's going to be super productive and you don't need to worry about the space element of having multiples and you don't even need to worry about the technicality of thinking oh you know do i need a pollinator for this do i need something for that you don't you can just buy a passion fruit whack it in and it's got everything it needs every flower has a girl bit and a boy bit fascinating it is <laughs> on the flowers because i hadn't really thought about the fact that they are evergreen the vines are evergreen and then they have the flowers how long do the flowers flower for is that the right term 
I think so, yeah. I wouldn't be certain to like lock in a date, but I would say for at least three months of the year, you're going to have Whoa. the beautiful flowers. Yeah. How nice. Yeah, they're, they're really spectacular, actually. Like, I don't think anyone would think that's where a passion fruit starts. And then once the flowers finish up, then you obviously no longer have the pretty flowers, but then you have the passion fruit fruit. So then you have that whole cycle of the next few months of having the big passion fruits hanging down. Does the flower become the fruit? Yes. Every passion okay. fruit started with the flower. It's a really good question to ask because if your uh, vine isn't flowering it's never going to fruit Mm. and same with your apple tree for example if you don't have and your and your lemon if you don't have flowers you can never have fruit so if you're not you can't be expecting a passion fruit to pop up if you never saw a flower so we can go in the troubleshooting later if people aren't actually getting flowers but yes every fruit starts with a flower beautiful so where are we going to put our passion fruit well i think first we need to look at what we're going to be planting because like is common you know with every plant we've talked about there are multiple ways of getting your passion fruit you can buy seeds to grow them I would 100% not recommend this for the beginner (laughs) do not do this your best chance of success is to buy a passion fruit seedling but in particular what's called a grafted passion fruit Now, you don't really need to understand why I think a grafted passion fruit is better, but just in giving it a really kind of basic red hot crack at an understanding, what it is, is the nursery grow a rootstock. So they grow a plant that has a really good, strong rootstock. Then they grow another plant that has really good passion fruit. What they do is they take the rootstock plant and they chop its head off and then they take an arm from the good passion fruit plant and they attach them together and turn them into one plant. Whoa, this is Frankenstein stuff. This is mind-blowing. And what it it means for you as the gardener is now you've got this plant that has this excellent rootstock, really disease-resistant, really, you know, hardy, but then you've also got the top of the plant, which has got all the benefits we want of those big, beautiful, productive passion fruit. So it's actually just such an easy way to get ahead in the garden. And with something like passion fruit, you know, one of these plants may cost $15 at a nursery, which given the effort that the nursery went to or you know mm. the plant breeder went to to create this frankenstein plant i think is incredibly cheap and if you look at the number of passion fruits you're going to get off that plant over the next seven years odd it really the cost benefits are just huge so what you're going to look for is a grafted passion fruit and they'll say that on the tag or yeah they will speak to the nursery double check that it's it's been grafted Yeah. To be honest, most passion fruits sold in a nursery will be grafted because everyone Mm -hmm. kind of takes this approach. I'd be surprised if you found one that wasn't grafted. But obviously, if you try and grow from seed or try and go from your own cutting or something like that, you're not going to get a grafted one. So invest in that. There's Mm. also a couple of different types of passion fruit that are readily available in seedlings and in grafted plants. The thing with them is they're all better suited for a certain climate. So I don't want you to say, oh, I like the look of the red passion fruit no what you need to do is look at where you are in the world and pick the passion fruit that's best suited for you Mm. for us in the colder climate in the south of australia our best bet is going to be a nelly kelly black passion fruit and that will be Mm -hmm. a grafted one for you tess and for me that's the only passion fruit that i grow okay so buy a passion fruit where are you going to plant this bad boy it needs full sun. This is non-negotiable, okay? We want mm-hmm. heaps of fruit, 
we need it to have full sun. Passion fruits like warmth and actually where I am, kind of in country Victoria, that's hard to achieve. It actually is a little bit cold where I am, but I can still make it work. But what I need to do is make sure that I plant my passion fruits in full sun and that they have a bit of shelter. So you don't want to put them kind of on a windy cliff face and have them being battered. They're a little bit more sensitive. So along a Mm -hmm. wall, like a sunny wall of a house is actually perfect because the house is going to shelter it. The wall, the bricks will you know, provide some ambient warmth to it. And as long as it's got full sun, it can do really well because it's, tre- you know, because it's a vine, we can kind of encourage it to grow in any shape or in any position we want. So you also mm. need to think of that when you plant it, because we can't just plant it in the middle of nowhere. And then, you know, what's it going to do? Crawl along the ground? Like that's not ideal. So we need to plant it somewhere where we can train it to grow in the direction we want it to. So maybe this is, again, along some trellising wires down the side of a house, or maybe this is, you've got like an arbor in the garden. So, you know, like an arch and then you can train it to grow Mm -hmm. over that, which is going to be quite pretty. So just think about your support system when you plant it, because it is one of those things that once we've planted it somewhere, it's going to stay there for many years. So we want it to be the right spot. Mm -hmm. And so just on that, it's not one for a pot. You can grow them in pots. You would need a very large pot. And to be honest, if fruit is your end game, I would say you're never going to be able to get that many like if you got four passion fruits you might be doing well so I'm not saying you wouldn't grow it in a pot because it does make such a nice screening plant and has all those other you know aesthetic benefits that it could still be a good one to grow but if you want a good crop of fruit it's not going to happen in a pot Mm. if you go the pot go the biggest pot humanly possible (laughs) okay yeah. So when are we going to plant it? You can actually plant your passion fruit throughout spring summer and early autumn but For maximum success here, I would highly recommend getting it in in spring, which is why we're talking about it now. Especially if you're in a colder climate like you and I are, Tess, we want to get that plant in and give it as much chance to kind of develop as strong as possible, grow its roots as possible, grow as big as possible before the winter comes in because it doesn't like the cold. As I said, you've got a bit more time. This is not like get it in this week or it's all over, but if we're trying to set ourselves up for success, as soon as spring warms up slightly, which is where we're are now kind of middle of spring that's when you want to get your passion fruit in we are going to plant this exactly the same as we do all our other seedling how to plant a plant discussion season one episode one okay (laughs) the thing i want you to remember with this is the passion fruit is going to be in that spot for a very long time and it's a very heavy feeder so i want you to really i mean i'm gonna sound like a broken record but really work that soil get a lot of compost in it get the nutrients up passion fruits love chicken shit So buy a bag, obviously if you've got chickens like me, brilliant, but if not, buy a bag of chicken manure from your nursery shop and, you know, incorporate that into the soil when you plant it. I actually think this may be why my passion fruits are so successful, even though I give them no attention because the chickens can frolic underneath them and then they just shit and then that feeds the passion fruit in situ. So it's (laughs) quite a good system. If you've got chickens, put a passion fruit vine in their coop or somewhere that they spend a lot of time and it's a benefit to them because it's shady but it's also a benefit to you because they're gonna do the work for you how big a space of the soil should you be working and digging up and enriching for your one seedling Mm. 
I'd say like 50 centimetres across, like a, di- a diameter okay. of 50 centimetres. Yeah, and then probably further down than just what the pot is going to go. You know, maybe not 50, mm. that might be a bit of a big hole, but get get it further down, I don't know, 30 or 40 centimetres as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the more you do, the better, and the roots will extend far beyond 50 centimetres, but that would be a really good start for that plant and is going to set it up for at least the next 12 months. So you're going to grow it and it's going to do its thing, but it's actually not going to fruit for about 18 months. So this is a bit of a long game we're in for. And in about 18 months, it will give you a small amount of fruit. The following year, so when we're talking about two and a half years old, it's going to be gangbusters. And then every year on from that, it'll also be gangbusters. Hold your horses at the start. You are going to give this plant a little bit of attention and it's not going to be delivering. But once it does, it couldn't be easier after that point. Amazing. How do you train it to grow up the arbor, whatever you're using? Yeah, interesting point. So things that are vining will naturally send out these tendrils, like snow peas, if you've ever grown those, do the same thing. Mm -hmm. They will kind of twist and twirl and attach onto whatever they can. So it's naturally going to want to climb. The thing is you at the start may want to direct it where to climb. Otherwise, it may attach onto things that you don't want. It might attach to your tomato and start climbing up your tomato (laughs) plant or something, okay? So you were going to have to direct it. How we do that, is we just get some string, some twine, some little metal twisties that you often use in the garden and just loosely attach the vine to the fence or the arbor or whatever it is we're going to trail it up. Once Mm -hmm. we give it that direction, it will send out its little tendrils and it will attach on. So once it's kind of, once you've headed it in the direction you want it to go, it'll be totally fine after that. And if it is setting up camp somewhere that you don't want it to, just gently pull it off or cut those tendrils. You can cut the tendrils, no problem, and just direct it back to where you want it to be. Don't tie it on or twist it on within an inch of its life because what's going to happen then is as the plant gets bigger, you're going to forget that you tied it on and you're basically going to strangle that Mm. vine, whatever that part of the plant. So be really loose with it. And then actually in the future, you can go along and just remove any ties that you put on there. I don't usually do that mainly because I can't be bothered, but I do tie them very, very loosely. So I know that it's never going to strangle the vine. Mm. So what other maintenance tasks are you going to have? Obviously, the trailing is a is a really important one, but it's not a particularly time-consuming one. None of them are. But a few things to think about. Twice a year, I want you to give it another feed with chicken shit. Mm-hmm. This is going to be really important. It's As I said earlier, they're really heavy feeders. We want to keep those nutrients up. If you've got a passion fruit vine in your garden already, and I'm sure some people listening will, and it's not giving you flowers... So again, you know, no flowers, no fruit. What that Mm -hmm. probably says to me is that they they aren't, the nutritional needs of that plant are not being met. So if you give it a really good feed with a pelletized fertilizer, add in some chicken manure, I think you'll find that that plant will then start producing flowers, which in turn will produce fruit. So twice a year, forevermore, I want it to have that really good feed. Are they particular times of the year that you should be doing it? Those two times? Oh, I'm sure there are. What would they be? I mean, maybe it would be early spring and early autumn. That would make sense mm-hmm. to me. But whenever is it gets done? Well, just get yeah, it sure. done. Yeah, as long get as you done. get it done at some point. <laughs> <laughs> How this is going to look in practice is I want you to give the plant a really good water. 
I want you to put down your pelletized feed or your pelletized manure, some compost if you've got it, and then you are going to mulch it. Mm. For tips on how to mulch, listen to the mulching episode, which we did really recently. That is going to be super important for the passion fruit because they're not just heavy feeders, but they're heavy on the water as well. They're really thirsty plants. And if we want big, juicy passion fruit, we need to keep that water up. So by mulching, that's going to go a long way to kind of keep the moisture in the soil. And it's also going to suppress the weeds, which we know is mm. another reason I love it. The passion fruit is not going to have to compete with those weeds and it can spend all the nutrients and all the energy making passion fruit. Again, not a, not a taxing activity, but something I want you to do twice a year. Another reason I love the passion fruit is we actually don't need to prune it to encourage it to fruit. So there are some fruit trees that we need to think a bit strategically about how we prune. Not passion fruit go for gold don't prune it if you don't want to prune it the only reason you would cut it at all would be if you want to tidy it so it's looking a bit scraggly or you know there's too much of it hanging down over a window next to your house and you want the sun to get in there's some bits that have kind of died or are going brown cut those off but it really is just an aesthetic thing for you to do rather than something you're doing to look mm. after the plant that kind of ease is really lovely mm. the only one little curveball I'm gonna throw you and you've got this under control but we need to think about what's called a sucker this comes back to why I bothered to tell you about the grafted plants earlier Earlier. Remember, the bottom of that plant is a different plant to the top of the plant. And what can happen is the bottom plant says, I would like some of my own plants, my own vines to grow. And it will actually start growing its own vine from, <laughs> I know, from below where the join is. And this is really problematic because their rootstock will naturally put its energy into growing its own plant, not the top mm. plant. So what can happen then is your top plant, the passion fruit that you want, actually isn't going to grow much more because the roots are going to be putting all the energy into growing that kind of side shoot bottom plant really easy way to deal with this super easy you chop those little suckers off as soon as you see them the way you know it's a sucker is because if you look at the bottom of your plant you will see quite clearly a join in the plant ah, okay. it's like a scar across the plant it's usually in a v-shape and you'll see that the even the uh the bark or the skin or whatever you call it of the plant mm. will be a slightly different color. It's a really obvious join. Anything above the join, brilliant, keep it growing. Anything below the join, cut it off. Be brutal. And that's just snipping it at the trunk? Yep, just snip it straight off. Okay, amazing. The other reason, the other way you might see the old sucker is that it actually is a different plant to the passion fruit you're growing. So if you've got this one vine that has these, you know, hand-shaped, beautiful green glossy leaves and then the same plant is shooting out a different coloured leaf that's a different shape and a different size, mm. that is going to be a dead giveaway that that plant is sending out suckers because no plant will have different leaves on the same plant in this way. So just mm. follow the leaves back to the trunk. Find out where they're coming from. If it's under that graft, which I reckon it's going to be, just snip them straight off with those secateurs. So it's one of those things that like it actually can make or break the difference between you having a super productive passion fruit and you not having any passion fruit at all. And it will take you literally five minutes once every four months to just check for the suckers. And it's those little tips, I think, that can just take a beginner gardener from zero to hero. But that's the only special one with the passion 
passion fruit, just the suckers. This um, Frankenstein plant is amazing, isn't it? It's so, so amazing what plant breeders can do and the advantages to you guys at home is just second to none. And I'm certain that mm. my passion fruit, the harvests I get from it, I just wouldn't be able to get without the grafted plant, especially given mm. it is so cold where I am that it does, like, you know, other people on Instagram have messaged me and said, how on earth do you have a passion fruit where you live? Because, you know, they can't grow them. And I do wonder if that's also because I've got the grafted rootstock. So thank you to whoever invented that. I appreciate it. Your passion fruit that you have, we will mm. try and find a, a picture of it. Is that just one plant for that whole thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's a monster. Oh, yeah. It is a monster. Yeah. So you can obviously keep it smaller. Like if you wanted to keep it smaller, you just trim it down. But yeah, it'll get quite mm. big. So again, when I say like a $15 seedling, it's going to go quite far. And you've seen from the photos, like it's really, really heavy with fruit most of the year. Mm. And I actually don't, I mean, maybe sometimes, or hardly do I actually feed it myself. I just, as I said, the chickens just peck around it. The, and the chickens doing the hard work. Exactly. The hard work shooting. For us a suburban space, how much wall, fence, trellis space would you recommend? I would say if you gave it like three metres of fence, that would be sufficient for a really big plant. It'll probably take more if you give it more, but mm. I would say three metres. So, I mean, that's say a fence is two metres high. So we're looking at six square metres of trellising space pretty decent yeah yeah and you know if you've got like raised garden beds against a fence like a lot of that back space isn't being used kind of you know again getting back into our three-day gardening discussion you could have a passion fruit running all the way along the back of that setup so there's just another food source that you've got without much if any more space and you can put the actual plant so the bit that goes in the ground with the roots mm. you can kind of put that anywhere as long as it gets a bit of sun at the start but remember it's the leaves that need the sun moving forward mm. so it's actually more important where you kind of direct the leaves to go than it is about the original plant obviously if you put the original plant in and it's small and doesn't get any sun it's not going to grow but it's it's kind of a twofold you got to think about where the plant goes but then you've also got to think about where it's going to go in mm. the future but because it has that trailing aspect it's just so much more versatile than say a lemon tree which you're going to have to perfectly round out the space for it so i think it could mm, probably mm. fit in a lot of gardens that you wouldn't be able to fit any other fruiting crops in like i'm sure we could find a spot in your garden test and use that back fence for for some trellis what about the other end of the scale like how would you go could you go smaller than the three meters if you didn't have that space on your most sunny wall yeah you totally could it's just going to mean less fruit so you okay. would prune the plant to keep it small. So if it's, you know, once it's hit the end of the fence and you a dump, you know, doesn't got nowhere else to go, you can just give it a trim there. Mm -hmm. Of course, with less vines, it's just, mm. you know, but that's fine. Like on a smaller wall, you're still going to get a decent, decent crop of fruit. I would say in two metres of fence, I'm just thinking about mine, I maybe even a metre and a half of fence, I would easily get over 100 passion fruits. I am shocked. That's mm. incredible. I'm a big fan of the passion fruit. <laughs> Is there anything that we need to worry about in the pest front? It's pretty hardy. There are okay. a huge amount of issues. Yeah. that You can get scale on your passion fruit. I've never had it, but I know that that's a thing. Like if it's looking like, if something's looking a bit untoward, like Google a photo of, of passion fruit problems. But honestly, I've never had, I've never had any. And I think mm. for, for the most part, it's, um, it's, 
pretty hardy, pretty durable. And as long as it's in the right spot, I think it's going to do wonderful. Mm. When it comes to harvesting your passion fruit, this the time of year that'll happen will depend totally on the weather, where you are. But the way you know that they're ready is they actually fall off the vine. Ah. Yeah, I didn't know this actually the first couple of years I grew them either. But ideally, you just wait until they drop and then that's when you collect them. You can pick them off the vine, say you're really desperate for some passion fruit, but they won't be perfectly ripe at that point. They do ripen off the vine. So you can then take them inside and leave them on the bench for a few days and they will ripen. But ideally, wait till the fruit tells you itself that it's ready to be picked and just plops off. That's fantastic. So the big question, is the juice worth the squeeze? This is where we look at the effort-reward ratio of today's topic. The categories are superstar, high effort, high reward. Completing this will make you feel like an absolute rock star. Best on ground, low effort, high reward. Quick wins and fill-ins, low effort, low reward. And finally, the wooden spoon, high effort, but not much reward. Tess, tell me, have I sold you on the versatility of the passion fruit? From the screening to the fruit to the beauty to everything else that's got going, can you see this being a worthy addition in your garden? I'm truly staggered by the stat that you just gave us that you reckon in a metre or a couple of metres get over 100 passion fruits. I just think that that is, that's astounding. Oh yeah, it's a huge producer. That's so fantastic. What I also love, which I opened with, was the idea of vines. I just think it's such a beautiful way to bring greenery to a fence and to a sort of lift of space. And plus all the fruit is amazing. My number one concern is finding the right spot for it. Yeah, especially because I've taken pots off the agenda. It will need a garden bed spot. But I mean, I think we can do it. Like I'll show you, I'll take some photos of where mine is in the garden and you can see actually the the kind of the ground space the plant is taking up is not particularly Mm. extensive. Can I ask, so we've got four fences in a house and they have, Mm. um, we're talking about sunlight here. So Mm. one of them will be fence will be north-facing, so it'll run mm. east-west. I'm doing a lot of hand signals for everyone at home, which is unhelpful entirely. So let's call it the north-facing fence because it will get yep. northern sun and it runs east-west. Yep. Of the four fences that you have in your house, which fence is the best to put it on? I'm guessing it's north-facing, but I don't actually know. You're a genius, Tess. It is. <laughs> I would say north-facing is always going to be your best bet for maximum sun and for the passion fruit. That's what we're going for. So, yes, north facing would be my pick Mm, which is tricky for me because my north facing fence is a garage (laughs) sorry is a garage door (laughs) so i need (laughs) so pending (laughs) growing a vine over our access (laughs) yeah you're right that's going to be a little bit difficult because that garage door has to go up but i mean if it was a if it was a shed say or something like that like you can you can really trellis over anything Anything except a garage door. So good one. I think we've got to get creative here without where we're choosing our spot. Well, we could also try and go up and over, you know, ignore, not attaching it to the garage door and kind of creating some uh, frame around the garage door Mm. could be interesting as well. And also that would hide the kind of ugliness of a, what do you call it? That round thing that rotates and the garage door goes up into. I think it's just called a garage door. I think we could get very creative. I'm not sure if you and I have got the handyman skills for something like this, but, I mean, let's give it a crack. I can outsource that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Okay, so for me, because I'm so worried about space, I'm mm. probably going to put it superstar status only because, I mean, obviously the reward is brilliant, but in my, it's not, I'm not saying that it's difficult at all. I'm not saying there's hard effort, but I think that space is really a key problem here for me, for, for my for my garden. I hear you. I will say I'm going to counter it because I'm definitely going best on ground here. Okay. <laughs> in a small space, there isn't a lot of fruit one can grow. That's just the reality. Like you're going to be better sticking with vegetables and herbs for a small space. Maybe, you know, a small citrus tree in a pot like like what you've got, Tess, is about the best one can do in a small space as far as fruit. I would say passion fruit would be my number one pick for fruit in a small space. Mm -hmm. I'm also excluding strawberries here. They don't count. Sure, sure. (laughs) And your little strawberry pot doesn't count, but yeah. If you could make it work in your space, and I think we need someone who's a little bit more creative than than I am perhaps, but having the arbor, you know, you can buy those arbors and you can just stick them anywhere. So it doesn't need to be up against a fence, arguably. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I'm picturing, wait, hang on, when we're talking about an arbor, we're talking about like an arch mm. thing, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> I also just learned in the last 12 months that it's called an arbor. I would have just called it like a garden arch. arch. I mean, I still think that's (laughs) correct. Maybe arbor is the term when you're like growing something over a garden arch. But you're totally right. It doesn't have to be a fence. It could be in the middle of a walkway. It could be like on a green lawn. You could stick an Mm. arch and then train it over. I have a couple of arches that I bought from the local hardware store. They maybe cost me, I don't know, between 50 and 100 bucks each. And I actually use them heaps in the veggie garden, not for passion fruit but just for you know if I'm growing a pumpkin or I'm growing cucumbers or I'm growing snow peas like I just find it's a really easy way to embrace the 3d gardening and it looks really attractive at the same mm. time. So, you know, one of those in the garden with a passion fruit over it, maybe it's a hundred bucks total price and how pretty that you could walk through it and there's going to be like passion fruits like dangling onto yeah, your head. how nice. I think that's beautiful. I'm sure there's some beautiful photos of passion fruit arbors. If, you, um, if you're listening and you've got any ideas about how to kind of incorporate them into the garden in creative ways, we'd love to see them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think for Squeezy Juice, you're locking in Superstar. I'm locking in Best on Ground, but I think we can both agree the passion fruit is a brilliant edible crop. Rooting for You is hosted by Elise and Tess, artwork by Lauren Janine. You can find us on Instagram at Rooting for You Pod or email rootingforyou at elisealexandra.com. And remember, we are rooting for you.